thank you so much to Isabella for kicking us off. She's always so sweet. Um, I, again, I'm, my name is Falia, and I'm really excited to highlight Emily today. Um, I know today we did a lot of advocacy and talked to legislators, and I think it's a really great way to close off by talking about the power that media has, specifically when it comes to social change. So Emily, if you could kick us off and you know, tell us about your journey in digital media, specifically I would also really love to hear about the name um, and how you chose to reclaim people uh, as it comes to your own publication and working. Because, you know, 
the first reason was we really wanted to, because the platform was so you know linked with the disability community, we really wanted to further our the community's work in reclaiming the word cripple. Uh, cripple has been a slur for back since historically it has been a slur um, since as long as I can remember. Um, it has been kind of a word that has been used to uh, to discriminate against disabled people against. Uh, most commonly physically disabled people, uh, but also kind of disabled people in general. And so ultimately within like the last couple of decades, uh, the disability community has chosen to reclaim the slur cripple and to kind of, you know, take it back and um, and take back our power with it. And, you know, really just uh, show the general society that, you know, this is, uh, you know, we recognize the historical context that exists behind the word. And, uh, and you know, kind of reclaim it. Um, and so that was kind of like the first uh, line of thinking as to why we chose it. And second of all, I think our main reason why we chose it was also to, when we were creating Cripple, I think that we really wanted to create a platform that felt true and felt really honest about the disability community. Because something that I felt really strongly about was, you know, kind of growing up, I saw lots and lots of spaces like for young disabled people um you know kind of like uh events that were that were created you know by charities or created by you know hospitals that were for young disabled kids um but largely i felt like you know those spaces didn't really feel authentic to me they didn't feel true to me um and it was largely because a lot of the time those events are created and, and led by non-disabled um, and so later I found out that that was where kind of like the disconnect was coming from. Um, and so anyway, so when I was kind of like, you know, remembering about those events and like those current spaces that exist for young disabled people, I really wanted to make sure that Cripple was a place where it felt true and honest and absolutely connected to the disability community. And I thought what better way than to kind of uh, choose a word that is currently, that currently represents like the disability rights movement and as to what they're moving towards. And um, and also as well, I guess I should have said like three reasons, but the last reason was also <laughs> to kind of like, um, to I guess to kind of catch people's attention. Um, there definitely was a little bit of shock value in it. I think that like when somebody who isn't really familiar with the disability community, I think that whenever they see Cripple, it's like, oh my gosh, like who would name a, like a platform for disability cripple media like that sounds so heinous that sounds horrible but i think that like for a lot of people who you know may have that reaction i i really hope that that would you know kind of like be an invitation to you know learn more about the disability community learn more about like our history and what we're all about and i think that hopefully that would invite more people to kind of be like okay like what what is this about like what what are they doing um, and so yeah, so I think that was kind of you know, the reason as to why we chose the name and kind of like we we just really wanted to kind of really connect with the disability community and, and at the same time, you know, catch people's attention. Yeah, I love all of your views. And I was gonna say, I think one thing that really stood out to me when I was talking to Emily was just really resonating with this idea that um, we come from like populations that are really invisible in positions of like, authority or power or representation. Um, and I think for us, we really saw that in the bills that we advocate today, whether it was maternal Medicaid, like tampon tax, 
Um, and again, I would really just like love to hear your perspective on that, on um, how representation has been that important to you, like how you would define it, and how that really encompasses your work with triple media. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, like kind of like growing up, I think that um, representation kind of like played a huge role in in the way that I grew up. Um, when I was younger, I was I became really, really attached to like pop culture, movies, films, and like TV shows. Like I I really loved like well first of all I like really loved One Direction. So there's that. <laughs> and, and I just I don't know, I just like really, really became attached to like pop culture and everything. And so I think something that later I really found out what was impacting the way that I perceived myself and the way that I perceived other young disabled people and the disability community as a whole was kind of not seeing myself in TV or books or um, or films because I think largely a lot of like the media that was out there at the time it was kind of like stories that like you know not to knock on this on this book I personally I was the first one in line to get this book but the Fault in Our Stars, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of books like that, that you know, that were largely kind of like about disability, kind of painted disability in a way that was like tragic and really sad and like very, um, and yeah, just kind of evoked feelings of pity. And, um, and so I think when I saw stories about me that were about that, um, it didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel true. And, I, and in turn, I kind of saw, you know, I think that kind of helped, you know, sow the seeds of internalized ableism. It helped sow the seeds of like the way that I viewed myself and made me feel like, you know, maybe these stories about me are true and the way that I, you know, I interact with the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so yeah, representation really was a huge, a huge way the way that I grew up. Um, and so later that was kind of really um, kind of a pivotal moment as to when I grew up that I really realized that this was extremely impactful and it really needed to change and was one of the main reasons why I created Cripple. Um, and um, and yeah, I just think that like it was it was huge. And as I started to talk more and more with young disabled people and the way that we connected, we pretty much all felt the same way. Um, however, I will say that, you know, as we've kind of like grown Cripple and as we've kind of know furthered our work and everything we pretty much like pretty much like mostly focused our work in like reporting and content creating and um and making sure you know that young disabled people are in um are in positions of power and creating our own content um but the reason why we also think that representation is so incredibly impactful is not only because of the way that like it you know it it really puts us like we are we are growing up with it and it kind of impacts the way that we perceive ourselves but it also directly impacts the way that other people think about disability um, and what I mean by that is that I think that like you know whenever we whenever somebody kind of like watches a movie like um, I don't know if you guys have ever watched like me before you that's another example um, that movie was extremely kind of also kind of like painted disability in a negative light um, all sorts of like stories like that. I think that one thing about like American pop culture is that I think I wasn't alone in being attached to pop culture. I think that one thing about kind of 
American culture in general is that we, like our pop culture is pretty much our bread and butter. Like the way that we consume media pretty much dictates the way that we perceive other people and the way that we make judgments about them. And so one thing that I started to learn about like hard work at Cripple is that it was so incredibly impactful to start changing the way that um, we, uh, the way that we perceived disability, the way that we created honest representation about disability because the more that people started to understand that, you know, disabled lives weren't, you know, worth to be pitied and aren't, you know, tragic or sad, that then creates a direct link in, you know, creating, uh, helping create legislative change. That then creates, you know, uh, more of an ability for people to understand disability in an honest light and see our lives as more multidimensional and, you know, really understand that, um, that, uh, that our lives are so much more than kind of, you know, to be competed against. So, yeah. yeah, I love that answer. And again, I think it aligns really well with what we've done today and what the point of our legislative advocacy day was. Uh, and something I just wanted to hit back on was, oh, what are some of the legislative gaps that you personally have been affected by or would love to see change in, in the coming years? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that like, I think the reason why I'd say that like, you know, representation is so important is, you know, because of that point that, that um, we really need legislative change like now, because at the end of the day, you know, representation isn't enough. It, it really isn't enough. What we need is, is change. Um, because every day about 20, I think it was about like 27 mobility aids are being broken by airlines every day. Um, we disabled people at, you know, the current state that we are now, we do not have marriage equality because of the way that, you know, if, uh, if disabled people, you know, do get married, they are at risk of losing uh, life essential uh, benefits and, um, and coverage. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so there are just so many issues like that that are kind of like impacting our community. They are real issues that are, um, that are impacted, impacting us every day. And so, you know, which is why I kind of feel like, like, you know, representation really isn't enough. And yeah, obviously it's really, it would be amazing to like have more representation of young disabled people in media. Um, but, you know, what we really need is that. And I think that, um, and I think that, however, you know, as we create like more and more representation, you know, there then we are able to uh, create more legislative change. But, um, but yeah, I think that a lot of people aren't aware of these issues that disabled people go through, like kind of, you know, their mobility aids being injured or broken, um, or that there is like a, pretty much a national shortage of caregivers at, at the way that we are right now. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that because of, of the lack of awareness that there is of, you know, the disability community and the way that the, the issues that we have are. was that representation isn't enough. I know we talk a lot about like numbers of people that are from this population or like imagery about seeing people um, who look like us. And again, I think all of that is really important, but I think something else we really need to consider and talk about is what are those outcomes of those people that are serving in those positions. I mean, like Emily was talking about the current national legislation, whether it's for the disabled community or for women, we really need to focus on that and how that is really the true purpose of representation and having people from our population serve in positions of power. Um, 
coming off of it, uh, touching upon the time we were talking about uh, how influential media is to our everyday lives. And something that I was thinking about is like, what is our role as people who consume media every day? And you're talking about how there are a lot of harmful side effects um, of having like really biased or inaccurate representations of people um, from different types of populations. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, I think that there is absolutely like kind of like the the negative side effects of like of of not of untrue representation or a lack of representation of dis disabled people in the media. I think is like is kind of like I think when I was growing up, I think that when I kind of like digested like media like that, and when I digested um, kind of like even like when I started to work as a journalist, like I just saw like almost the majority of news pieces that I was seeing that were about disability and that were supposed to be, you know, covering issues of disability, they were largely painting kids like me as, you know, something that was to be pitied against. I mean, on Facebook, if you, you kind of, you're bound to kind of like find a, a news piece that's like, oh, like this one disabled kid was like asked out to prom and you see like the, you know, hundreds of care reacts and, <laughs> and love reacts to those posts like that. But at the same time, I think it's like also important to kind of recognize like how harmful those, you know, news pieces are because it kind of, you know, perpetuates a, you know, untrue representation of disability, which is that, you know, our lives are not to be pitied. And so that is something that, you know, was incredibly harmful to kind of, I think, um, you know, really digest because it's like, that is what you know the you know general society kind of like thinks about disability, um, and I think that that then kind of impacted the way that I you know um, the way that I communicated with the disability community, the way that I perceived other disabled people as well, um, and so and so again you know that also can can you know impact the way that you know non-disabled people view disability. The way that we interact with politics and etc. And so, um, and so, yeah. So another reason why we thought that that was so important was because um, because of that. And um, at Cripple, you know, one of the other things that we uh, we did, you know, besides reporting and stuff like that, we also put young disabled people in positions where we can create our own content. So uh, whether that be like through TikToks, through YouTube videos, through uh, through even through memes, <laughs> um, stuff like that. I think that also like you know kind of gives us the agency to kind of like take it back and be able to produce content that does feel right and honest to the disability community. And um, and even you know things like that are you know incredibly make a difference because I think the more that we increase you know creators with disabilities on social media like on applications like TikTok or Instagram that creates, you know, more visibility and more um, and more diversity on people's feeds. And I think that was a really great transition into talking about like influencers and something else I was reflecting on was um, when it comes to like women specifically, like I've talked to a lot of my guy friends and I'll ask them like who their role models are. Um, and they'll usually always like list guys and if I ask them like do you have any female role models, the only people they can ever come up with like are their mothers, which of course is like amazing, you're wishing some for our mothers. <laughs> Um, but if you uh, ask like young women, they'll usually be able to list at least like one or two women that they look up to. So I think highlighting this point of like who are the people that we like view as role models, and people that we can accept as like authority figures, people that we can accept as uh, people that we want to be influenced by, is really important to consider. And I remember talking about this with Emily as well, like why 
media, like have ownership over the content that they create because like through content creation, they have like ownership over their narratives and like to have the opportunity to be influencers in media and different avenues of social media. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a great example. <laughs> um, I think that like the way that, um, you know, how incredibly important it is to even have like, you know, uh, uh, diverse creators. I think that like, you know, when we start to think about like how, oh, like, you know, like what was, um, you know, the last disabled creator that you've seen, I think it would be kind of like hard to think about like, you know, um, you know, the answer for that. And I think that, um, and I think that like the more that we really try to, uh, you know, push disabled creators onto like mainstream media, I think that that, you know, also helps, you know, for people to become more, um, more aware to the disability community and more aware to, you know, what we really are about and less attached to kind of like the, uh, the already like manufactured ableist notions that we have been fed by. Um, by legacy and by mainstream media. Um, and so I think that is another like really great avenue of kind of like taking back our power, which is, you know, through social media because it's like we are able to create our own um, our own media. And I think that uh, and I think that also too, like even um, even for me or even for like a person who is not a creator of media, I think that also like it also gives like regular everyday people like the ability to uh, be able to, you know, support and be able to uh, kind of, uh, yeah, I guess like support that cause uh, by really being intentional of the media that they're consuming and therefore supporting more diverse creators, supporting more, uh, you know, seeking out for more, you know, disabled content creators, whether that be like on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, etc. Um, you know, really, you know, seeking them out and making sure, you know, that uh, their feeds are diverse and you know really um, you know diversifying their uh, the way that they consume content. And as someone who like runs a form of media myself, again I run a podcast. If you look at the statistics, uh, only twenty four percent of like the top podcasts are run by women, which is crazy to me. I mean, like we should be in those spaces, whether it's media, politics, economics, like whatever the space is. Um, it doesn't really make sense to have. Um, so it really just makes makes me question like um, what types of people does the general population look to for like information, for perspectives, for opinions? Um, who do they look to to inform themselves and again form their own perspectives on the world? Uh, and something else I wanted to hit on for um, along with what Emily was saying earlier, um, as I know we talked about how Emily started people media at a really young age, like 15. That's like high school freshman. I mean, it's sort of crazy to think about. Um, how you've been able to accomplish so much um, while still being a young person. And I know sometimes like when we hear about like these ages, like, oh, like you're only a high school senior, like you're only a high school freshman, it can seem like really intimidating to see yourself in that position. Um, so I sort of wanted to like break that down and not make that seem like something that's like intimidating or like out of reach for like, anyone that's in this room. So I wanted to hear a perspective on like what advice would you give to like young people who feel like change is like sort of out of their capacity. Yes, absolutely. And I, I feel so strongly about that because I think that, yeah, like, I think that, like, when you're a teenager, you really feel like, you know, a lot of times, especially in this generation, like, I feel like a lot of, like, the older generation really does not want for young people to have agency, um, especially for teenage girls. I think that that is definitely, uh, definitely true. 
Um, um, but yeah, I think that like, I felt that when I was younger, I was extremely like inspired by our generation, by Gen Z. Um, and I think that we are at a unique position in which that I feel like we're the only like generation that's kind of really grown up with technology. Like we really, like we, when we were born, we weren't exactly like born with like, you know, like kind of like babies like right now that like grow up with like iPads, but, <laughs> but we did grow up as the internet evolved. And I think that really put us at a unique position because we really grew up along with the internet and therefore we became digital natives. Um, and so I think that kind of put us at a really unique position in which we're able to kind of like use the internet and social media and be able to use it to our advantage because we're really the only people that know it so well. And we're the only people who know how to, you know, how to use it for good and how to use it for, to amplify our voice. Um, and so, and so, yeah, and so I think that, um, I think that when, you know, seeing when I was like around like 14, 15, I was seeing like so much of Gen Z like using that and doing that. Like for example, you know, kind of um, the gun, gun change, gun reform movement that was happening um, around, I think it was like right around like 2016, that there's so many Gen Z activists using social media for amplifying their voice and amplifying you know, the issues that we felt that were important. Um, and I think that really, really, really inspired me. And also, what also inspired me too was, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this platform called Rookie Magazine, but Rookie was actually, it's a very, very old um, online magazine that was created, like I think it was like in 2008 or 2009, but it was really, really popular because it was the first magazine, first online magazine that was created uh, by a teenager. <laughs> I think it was like created by like a 14, 13 year old. Um, and it then became extremely popular. And I think that's just another example of the way that, you know, teenagers just became so, um, just so native to technology. And I think just seeing that and just seeing our generation really inspired me and made me feel like I am able to make a change with technology and I'm able to actually create change with um, uh, just through you know the walls inside of my house and so um, and so yeah so pretty much the way that I created Cripple was I pretty much just first I mean I think I was you know really focused on like really drafting what I wanted Cripple to be and what I wanted it to look like I you know then I was like okay so I want it to be an online platform I want it to be an online magazine but also want it to be a place where you know we could expand it to content creating and we could expand it to so many other things um, and so and so I think that was really important. And then I think the next steps were kind of just, you know, YouTubing how to create a website <laughs> and go from there and just kind of, you know, I really didn't, uh, I really, uh, there was no, you know, funding, there was no investments or um, VC uh, from, uh, with the creation of Cripple. It was pretty much just all through, uh, created all through my bedroom, pretty much. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and so from there, we pretty much, it was very much, a grassroots type of um, type of creation, and I pretty much just sent out a tweet and said we were looking for contributors, looking for young disabled people, and I pretty much just sent it out to all the contacts that I knew that I'd made as a reporter, and sent out to all the disability rights activists that I uh, that I knew would help me share out the word. And thankfully, we were able to get a lot of you know response from young people all over the world, 
Um, and yeah, and thankfully we were able to still create work, still create work um, about like three-ish, three and a half, or like now, I guess now four years later, which was pretty, pretty wild to think about. But, um, um, but yeah, I think like at the end of the day, I think what really empowered me was our generation and the way that we use technology. And um, I think that for any advice who like, for anybody who wants to create something, I think that, um, I think that we absolutely have the power to do so and that you absolutely have the power to do so. And, um, and, um, and the change that we're able to create is, is immeasurable. And there are so many aspects of that answer that I really appreciate and I really would like to hit on. Like for one, Emily was talking about just like lowering the barrier to entry. Like you just started with things that she already had access to. Like that was basically the internet, social media, like she reached out to people. I think a lot of it is just like taking initiative and just trying things. So I'm sure things didn't work out the first few tries that you tried them, the first few people probably didn't respond. Um, so I think one, not having really a fear of like failing or feel a fear of having like a lack of engagement at first is something really important to sort of overcome. Another thing that I think was really great that you highlighted was again like playing to our strengths, like what are resources that we already have available to us. So obviously technology is one, it's just a space that we're like natives in. It's definitely something that we should take advantage of. And something else I was thinking about too was like how Emily was mentioning like grassroots activism. Um, I think one thing that like, I learned from my legislative meeting, um, a staffer from my senator was talking about how uh, something people from like communities can do is like give public testimony um, in the state congress. And so there's like this myth that like public testimonies are like, pretty much useless because there's no way they're going to change their minds anyway. But it's actually like giving examples of how public testimonies have actually changed like committee members' like perspectives on like a legislation that was almost guaranteed to pass because somebody was able to give like a really poignant or like thoughtful response on that particular bill. So I think even thinking about like what are ways that we can sort of be involved, um, whether it's like giving a public testimony, like reaching out to like a senator staffer, um, or again taking our own initiatives and sharing stories that we think are important for ourselves. Um, and I think with that, this is a really great place to like open up the floor to Q&A. If anybody has any thoughts they would like to share in response to Emily, um, we'd love to hear it. How can we, the able population, best represent you and you, the, uh, like, I don't know, just everything? Like, because we obviously don't know your struggles. We don't know anything similar to that. What can we do to show other able people, like, this is what it's like, like, that, and these things are not what it's like? Because I agree with you with the whole, like, the media portraying all these things. They do make it seem so tragic and so sad all the time. Like, how yeah. you said the, posting on this and like, oh, these two disabled kids went to prom together is so <laughs> insanely popular. And I just, I agree, it should not be like that. It shouldn't be something crazy. You're people, and there's, there's no difference between you and that. Yes, exactly. Like, you really hit, yeah, you hit it on the nail. Um, yeah, and that's a, that's a really great question. I think that, like, I think at the end of the day, what I want, um, what I would hope for you guys to take away is that, like, I think that, like, one thing that, no, and I and I, you know, really, really try to keep it in mind too. Is like I think one thing that we can do is like really make sure that like uh, really make sure to diversify our feeds on social media. So you know, really, you know, um, really seek out like you know disabled uh, creators, you know, disabled BIPOC creators, um, you know, to make sure that you know we're really diversifying the content that we consume and making sure and. You know, by doing that, we are kind of also ensuring that we are getting content from 
actual disabled people themselves because um, I think that, yeah, like you said, like pretty much like, you know, the majority of like legacy media pretty much still perpetuates um, news stories like that. Like, um, like there was one news story that was pretty much published like not even that long ago, I think it was like eight, seven months ago and we, we also talked about that on our website, but there was this one news story that was um, published by a legacy news media outlet <laughs> and, uh, and it was meant to talk about like kind of, um, meant to highlight how important it is to solve the issue of the shortage that there is of caregivers right now. Um, and so it was going to be a really, really, really great piece and it's a very, very important uh, topic that really needs to be addressed. Uh, but I think the problems with that piece was that I think it was interesting because the reporter was of course, you know, a non-disabled reporter. And I think that uh, the way that they were approaching the piece was they were largely interviewing um, the partners of the disabled person. So the partner of the disabled person was, you know, largely, uh, mostly the caregiver in uh, in that dynamic, and so they were pretty much all interviewing uh, those same uh, the same kind of dynamics, and uh, and it pretty much did not change. Like the sources were pretty much the same type of people, um, and so I thought I thought that was interesting because I thought that even though this issue is from you know it is impacting disabled people in the disability community, the piece was still not centering disabled people in any sort of way. Um, and so anyway, so I think that, to go back to your question, I think that like uh, something that we can all, you know, we can ourselves, we can do is like, you know, just really make sure our, our, uh, our things are diversified and, you know, we're seeking out disabled creators and the content that they are putting out and, um, and yeah, I think that just like supporting them and supporting uh, the disability community in general really just, you know, does a whole lot. I have some I feel like when I was listening to you, I just, I have a whole page that I just kept writing. Question, 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 question. Like, we could switch seats if you want. <laughs> um, so I'm going to keep just to two. The first question, no worries, yeah, uh, I have to ask, who is your favorite member of One Direction? <laughs> <laughs> this is a very important question. I agree. Um, <laughs> Harry Styles. There we go. <laughs> she has big Sundays. So, um, the more, obviously, more important question. With social media, uh, I suppose with a lot of, but especially with social media, obviously the way the algorithm works is you tend to get recommended things that the yeah. algorithm yeah. senses you're already going to like. So it's kind yeah. of crazy to see where we have an echo chamber of you, you tend, it's a lot, you have to really make an effort to yeah. seek out um, content that you maybe wouldn't normally search up. So um, I guess maybe this would be a two part question. like. Uh, how can we work to ensure that people who may not think to seek out content from disabled creators mm -hmm. um, ensure that they're listening and they're part of the conversation? Or is that a battle that is really not important to fight or it's not worth fighting? I no, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. That is actually an incredibly important question. I think that, I think, yeah, that's a hard one. I think that is just something, honestly, that we're currently fighting against. I think that that is 
Um, okay, so I guess my answer is twofold. I think that like the first aspect is that yeah, largely the problem is big tech companies <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, I actually do research about this um, here actually at UT Austin about the way that kind of like the polarization that social media creates and like the non-diversification that uh, social media gives you. Um, unfortunately, the way that algorithms work is that, you know, algorithms favor, um, they put out content, uh, you know, the ones that they think users are going to engage with the most. So oftentimes that looks like uh, putting out content that is like more salacious, more eye-catching, more, you know, in order for to get more users engaged. And so I think that that is largely the problem is that I think that that then fosters an environment in which that, you know, people are not really, um, you know, pushed to diversify their feeds because their feeds are being created for them. And these feeds are being, you know, tailored to their interests and tailored to, you know, which uh, posts are getting more engagement. And so, and so, yeah, so I think that is like pretty much largely the problem, I think. Um, I think one way that we could, you know, really try to navigate that is uh, not to plug Cripple back in, but uh, I, <laughs> I think also too is like hopefully, you know, as we grow, as Cripple Media grows, I think that could be one way is, you know, really, uh, really making sure that our media company is able to, you know, is able to grow first of all, and also, you know, able to become uh, powerful, powerful, and that we're able to kind of create more and more uh, content, more and more uh, honest and representative content of the disability community and be able to kind of, you know, spread out beyond social media and be able to be, you know, in, um, in, more, in more types of content beyond social media. And so hopefully, you know, that could, uh, you know, widen the reach. Uh, but I would honestly encourage, like, you know, uh, for just more disability-led companies, for more of us, for there to be more of us and for hopefully for more, you know, uh, for more support so that we can be able to uh, create more content, be able to widen our reach beyond social media. I guess I would answer that way. Absolutely, yeah, these are great questions. So, um, okay, so I feel like the first question, where do I see Cripple in a couple years? So, I guess, honestly, I don't know. It kind of does make me sad a little bit um, because I think, like, working in the media, unfortunately, it is a reality that the media right now is, it, is incredibly unstable, um, and especially for journalism. Um, journalism is incredibly unstable right now, and. Um, and one of my little like pipe dreams when I was younger was like kind of like creating uh, an outlet for Cripple to be like to be to expand into print. However, you know, print is as we know is incredibly uh, fragile right now. Right now, um, and that's unfortunately also true for like uh, younger kind of uh, independent online uh, platforms. And so, um, I think my hope for the next couple of years is like. I think in general, just hope that we are able to continue creating content um, and hopefully, you know, secure, you know, uh, secure funding for us so that we are able to, you know, um, 
I think my dream for Purple is, you know, hopefully for it to become a platform and for it to become a space where like young disabled people can come for employment opportunities and come for, um, a, you know, for creative opportunities as well. Because I think also too is that like young people in general, like not even, you know, just exclusively uh, disabled people, but also young people are largely underrepresented in the media space. Like, the amount of teen journalists that there are, like teen content creators or teen creatives, is pretty low and pretty small. Um, and we are largely underpaid. <laughs> and so I think that that um, that you know even more so exists for young disabled creatives. And so I would really hope for Cripple to become a place where you know in the future disabled people, uh, young disabled people are able to come for us for employment opportunities and be able we are able to offer you know. Um, enrichment and training in uh, in the media industry and be able to offer uh, those opportunities in whatever creative endeavor that they would choose. Um, and so yeah, I, I would definitely say that hopefully being able to expand, being able to secure more funding and being able to offer um, offer employment would be my, my goal. And, um, and why did I forget your second question? I'm so sorry. Can you repeat that again? So I was just going to ask about, so people have different disabilities, Oh, right? yes, and yeah. So just talking about that, how can we make it more accessible? Like, we have captions, we can fix audio stuff, but what are some ways to make it more interactive? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. And that's a great question because I think that, yeah, another problem with social media right now is, like, just also how largely inaccessible it is. Um, I think that, you know, yeah, I mean, social media does, is, uh, currently inaccessible right now. I think a lot of the stuff that we're also trying to do is like really pioneer for you know captions for every piece of content that we create. Uh, so we really, we generally just push for our creators and for also for our followers to uh, to create like image just image descriptions in their captions, image descriptions like. For example, on Instagram, there is a place where you can, um, when you're creating a post, you can like put in alternative text so that people with vision impairments um, or people with screen readers can, you know, interact with the post, and the post will read out. Usually, their device will read out um, the cap, the uh, details about the image, um, and so that is always really useful for a lot of people to know. So I usually, really pioneer for that, and also for image descriptions to be included in captions as well just in case, because sometimes that feature on Instagram can be really finicky for screen readers, so um, that is also there. Um, and so yeah, I think we largely pioneer for that, for you know captions on all of our YouTube videos, on all of our content. Um, and then other ways too, um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I definitely just think that, yeah, social media is definitely just really inaccessible in general. And yeah, I think that, large part of the reason is like, you know, lack of captions, lack of, um, lack of stuff like that. So yeah, I think I would definitely say like, captions are always like at the forefront of our minds and I think would probably count for like a lot of like the inaccessibilities. Um, and so it, the introduction of the book talks about how 
Um, like our world today, our, our world historically has always been uh, designed in this way of like default male thinking. So like you think about a lot of the, the ways that like policy is created or a lot of the ways like even buildings or cars are all designed, it's all designed um, with statistics and like data of like men. Like so even for example, like a car, um, they're tested on dummies that are around like six foot um, with like builds of uh, adult men. And so if you compare like the statistics of like um, like injuries from like a car crash between like men and women, like women are actually much more likely to die in a car accident simply because of like the data that those cars were like designed on and the fact that there wasn't really any inclusive design before developing that car. Um, and I think this like gap of like not having inclusive or universal design can be seen across like again like every industry. So like uh, autos are just like one example. Um, even like accessible design within like social media is something that's really important to hit. So I think um, again, this concept of like universal design is really important to hit on, whether it's like for women, whether it's like the disabled community, or whatever it is, there are like so many gaps that continue to exist and perpetuate um, that really should uh, be served by um, always having like universal and inclusive design at the forefront. Um, something else that I wanted to hit on as well um, was this concept of like independent creators. So like one of the comparisons that I always think about is like, for example, like um, government, um, which is like very systemic. Uh, versus like uh, independent like um, creations or like independent like graphic organizations. Of course, like you can never truly compare the two because they like, both have completely different functions. Um, but it just reminds me of like uh, what are some ways people can have ownership over again creating change, like impacting their communities. It doesn't always have to be government or legislative change. Of course, that's really imperative. Uh, but I think it's also really important to look at like other avenues of being able to create impact. And again, it also reminds me of the comparison between. Of course, like large, really established corporation versus like independent creators like like yourself um, chose to like create. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that is so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to really like drive it home, I think that, yeah, I think like at the end of the day, what we really want to push forward is like, is the support of like independent creators. And one thing, you know, that, you know, uh, you guys can do and I can do and pretty much anyone with like, um, you know, with social media is that, you know, we can absolutely, um, you know, create change just by supporting independent creators or just by, you know, diversifying our feeds and stuff like that. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, um, that is something that, you know, can go, you know, can go a long way. a young voice in a field that's dominated by older people, you mentioned this, but is there any advice you have, or I guess it goes without saying, you have uh, those older voices that kind of feel entitled to be like, I'm this authority figure, and as young people, I feel like there's this point in life where we have to figure out that, oh, we have this agency to like put ourselves forward, to like, you know, speak for ourselves, like we deserve to say respect. Any advice for people who still feel daunted, like myself? <laughs> like when you're in like these kind of situations, you have to like remind yourself, oh, I'm just as equal as that. Any advice for that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, yeah, that is such a such a good question. I feel like that is something that like so many young people like. I I feel like all of us like we kind of like feel that in some capacity either when you know we're advocating or we're just starting an activism or we want to create change. I mean, a lot of the spaces like not even in, you know not only in the media industry but so many adjacent or so many other um, industries are 
like pretty much run by older people. <laughs> so I think that one thing that, you know, this also kind of goes hand in hand with imposter syndrome a little bit. Um, but I think that even now, or like a couple of years later, you know, Purple Media is like more established and um, we have been able to, you know, uh, secure a lot of like support and we've been able to be featured in, you know, a lot of like um, really cool news outlets. Um, I think at the, at the end of the day, you know, I still feel nervous, you know, when, you know, like talking to like, uh, like media executives or media industries, uh, people or leaders in media industries. Um, and I think that like one way that, you know, we can remind ourselves or like I, you know, I feel like this kind of helps me to remind myself, but like, I think that once, you know, we start creating change, we like, you know, we indelibly like, you know, catch people's attention. And I think that like, we, you know, that then, you know, creates, you know, change and it creates so much impact just by using their voice. And I think that a lot of like, you know, older people and a lot of people who are in those positions of power take that very seriously. I think that, you know, when they see like young people, of course, like this is coming from, you know, older people who, you know, are open to listening and who are open to understanding. But I think that a lot of, you know, uh, like leaders and executives are, you know, do take that seriously and do, you know, and do take, you know, when they see like, you know, young people, you know, succeeding or like creating change, I think that is kind of, that's like enough of a statement, I feel like. Like, I think once we're able to get into these spaces and, you know, break open these doors, I think that, you know, our, just our presence and just our, you know, uh, our, you know, being able to be visible in these, uh, in these rooms, I think is what kind of, you know, uh, demands our, you know, our agency. I guess that makes sense. Thank you so much for that closing, Emily. And again, thank you so much for Thank you guys. This was like so, so incredibly awesome and so 